Good morning again. If you would, uh, please open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We'll continue in our series, This is the Life, a study in the book of Deuteronomy. As you're turning there, as I have the last few weeks, I encourage you again this week to be praying for our senior pastor, Dale Weldon, as he's on his sabbatical. It's great that he's gone. He has a chance to, to, to be refreshed and renewed and uh, the way to really get him refreshed and renewed is for this congregation to be praying for that. So I implore you to pray for our senior pastor. He'll be back with us in just a couple of weeks. Uh, so uh, pray that these last couple of weeks would be beneficial for him. This time, though, let's give our attention to God's Word, Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And do remember that this is the Word of God. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these forty years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you'd keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of the, whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground, where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do, to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to, to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. 
Let's pray together. Father, I pray that during this time that we have together this morning, that your spirit would work in a great way and show us glorious truths in this portion of your gospel. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As a general rule, I think many of us live with way too much angst and worry in our life. Far too often, the reason we have this angst and this worry is because we are relying on the wrong person. We often are buying into what Ben Franklin first started talking about in the 18th century, this idea that we can be a self-made man. That if we just work hard enough, do more, push more, we can achieve anything we want. After all, it's, it's the American dream. You can provide for yourself, and you don't need anyone else. But there's a problem with that. When you rely only on yourself, that opens you up for great worry and great angst. You have a choice. You can rely on yourself, and you, or you could rely on the Lord to be your provider in all things. One way leads to worry and angst. The other way leads to great peace. The first person who ever tried this American dream to try to do it on his own wasn't even an American. It was Adam when he was in the garden. God had placed Adam in the garden and had provided for him in a great way. And he said, you can eat of anything that you want except for that one tree there. You may not eat of that. And Adam thought to himself, I don't know that I can really trust God. I think maybe I should go out on, on my own. So he went out, and he ate from the tree that he was not supposed to. And for that, he was thrown out of the garden, and the curse of the fall is still with us even today. In our text here this morning, we see a warning to the Israelites against the same enticement, and it's a warning to us also. Let's, let's take a look at it together, especially, let's pick up here in verse 3, and we read, And he humbled you, and he let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You know, Israel's journey is not too unlike Adam's journey. God placed Adam in the garden. Israel was led to the promised land by God. God provided for Adam everything that he needed. Israel had everything that they needed in the promised land. Adam decided that he wasn't sure that he could trust God. And Israel will eventually decide the same thing. Adam is thrown out of the garden. And Israel is thrown out of the promised land. We see Satan telling the same lies to Israel that he told to Adam. When we think about that, and we think, well, Satan's going to tell us the exact same lie, that God's really not good. He's really not going to provide for us. 
What's our hope when it comes to us with that same line? Well, our hope is Jesus. You see, Satan attacked Jesus' trust in his father's providence in the exact same way. Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. And he was trying to cause Christ to distrust in his father's providence to him. In Matthew 4, we read that he, he comes and he says that since you're the son of God, command these stones here to become bread. Change them. Provide for yourself, Jesus. You can do it. You're, you're the son of God. But Jesus would have none of it. He tempts the Lord to exercise his divine power to bring relief to his human suffering. He tempts him to think, perhaps the Father really isn't going to provide for me, isn't really going to take care of my hunger. He tempts the Lord to an explicit distrust of his Father's providence for him. It's the same lie that he told Adam. It's the same lie that he told the Israelites. And it's the same lie that he whispers in our ear every single day. So how should we combat Satan's lie? Should we be like Adam? Should we be like the Israelites? Or should we be like Jesus? I'll give you the answer. We should be like Jesus. Let me help you with that. When Jesus was faced with the temptation, this is the words that came out of his mouth. It is written. We who are the sons and daughters of God, we accept the scripture's authority out of an act of devotion to Jesus. For he accepted them as infallible. He accepted them as inerrant and he refuses to be tempted to mistrust or to distrust or to abuse God's providence. He says no to Satan. Man does not live on food. Man lives on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And therefore, Satan, what you're telling me, that, that I need something that God tells me that I don't need, I'm not going to believe you. God tells me that he will give me what I need. And I need him above everything else. And therefore, I will not succumb to the temptation to produce for myself what I think I need. Folks, when we are faced with temptation, we too should resort to the word. See how the Lord uses the word here to, to fight off Satan's attack. Satan has attempted to break down his belief and his trust in his father's providence, and, and he resorts to the word. He remembers and he quotes from our text here this morning in Deuteronomy 8.3. He tells him, I will not be like the unbelieving children of Israel in the wilderness, Instead, I will believe that if God has brought me to the wilderness, he can provide for me, even when I don't see how he's going to. I will not distrust him. He uses the word of God 
to strengthen his faith so that he will not distrust his father. Then he also uses the word to remember in the wilderness that even though there is no visible means of feeding the Israelites, that God went ahead and did it. He provided manna. He provided quail. God's providence prevailed even when man's logic said there is no way. The people should have trusted God, but they didn't. The Lord Jesus remembers that God is good to him, and he trusts him. And God will provide for us, even when we have no idea how he's going to do it. And so he, again, Christ uses scripture to strengthen his faith and to strengthen his trust in God's providence. If we use the scriptures as we face temptation, we may rest in the grace of the victory that our Lord Jesus won for us when he's even in the wilderness. He made us sons of God. And we need to remember our, adop our adoption because over and over, you know what Satan's going to do? He's going to try to convince us that it's not true, that God doesn't really love us. He'll want us to forget that the Father cares for us. He'll want us to think that the Father is stingy and that he's withholding from us. Satan has his way of coming to us and making us think that he's the one that holds the key to the storehouse of all these blessings. But that's not the way it is at all. You see, our problem isn't that, that we want too much from God. Our, our problem is, is that we're willing to settle for far too little. Satan comes and he like holds out these little trinkets to us and says, here, this, take this, that this will make your life better, this will make your life whole. And we're willing to grab hold of those things instead of willing to trust that the Lord, our God, will provide for us and he knows what's best for us. So how are you going to respond when Satan comes to you and says, God's providence is not enough for you? Are you going to try to go at it alone? Or are you going to go at it with the scriptures? Are you going to rely on grace and God's word to see you through? Jesus Christ has won us by his obedience. He is trustworthy to provide for you. That leads us to our, to our second point here of, of how we can really have peace with God. The first point is we can trust God's providence in our life. And the second is we need to believe the promises of God. Look at verse 6 with me again. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of, those whose, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full. Think about Moses telling the Israelites this. This group of people for 40 years have, has done nothing but wander in the, in the desert. They've never known anything like this. 
And God says, I'm bringing you into a land that's so unimaginably wonderful that, that they hear these words. You, you have to imagine that they got to think, that's too good to be true. That's everything I've always wanted. I can't wait for this. In these verses, we see God's covenant promises to his people. Right after God points out to his people that he's always going to take care of them, he makes some tremendous promises that, he, that these are actual gospel blessings to God's people. You know, there's a lie out there that says that we're not promised anything in this life. Well, that's a lie straight from Satan. Jesus makes us all sorts of wonderful promises. He promises the forgiveness of your sins. He promises you eternal life. He promises to provide and care for his people. He promises he's preparing a place for us in heaven. He promises to love us. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. He promises his spirit. He promises his church will go forward and not even the powers of hell can prevail against it. It's because of Jesus' promises to his to his people that, that we're building this building right over there. Jesus says for us to take the gospel to every nation, to every tribe, to every tongue. And he promises that he's going to be with us every step of the way. We're building the building because we believe the promises of Jesus. As I was thinking about the promises that are in the Bible, uh, I, things just started popping in my head. I'm going to give you some specific uh, references and, and read the verses. I, I invite you to write down the references and go home today and meditate on the promises of God. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Philippians 4, 19, And my God will supply every need of yours, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 37 through 39. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Romans 10, 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Isaiah 43, 1. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Isaiah 54, 10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be moved, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. Isaiah 46, 4. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. Jeremiah 29, 12. 
then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. 1 John 5.14 This is the assurance we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He will hear us. Psalm 121, verse 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Folks, that's, I don't even know how many, 10, 12, something like that, promises I'm giving you right there. The Bible has a thousand promises in it, more than a thousand. There's so many in there. And Christ makes these promises to us. I've only scratched the surface of telling you God's blessings for his people. Do you believe your heavenly father loves you and he really wants what's best for you? I encourage you to live in his promises and see that he is good. I had the experience that Several of you, uh, probably all of you have had with your children at one point, with both of my boys. And that is when they're too small to, or too young to know how to swim, yet we go down to the pool, and I set them on the side of the pool, and I get in the pool, and I say, jump. And they look at me, and they don't want to jump. And I say, it's okay. We're going to have a great time. Trust me. Jump. I don't know, Dad jump and eventually both the boys would jump in and we'd have a great time and 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 then I still remember having this conversation with each of my boys I set them on the edge of the pool and I'd look at them I'd say why in the world would you jump into the pool you don't know how to swim and they would say because I knew you were going to take care of me and I'd say well how do you know that I'm going to take care of you and they'd say Because you love me, Daddy. Christ's promises are for us. And he loves us as a father loves a child. Finally, I want us to look at what prosperity looks like when it comes the way of God's people. And there are two responses that we see here in the last half of our text. And you probably have guessed already that both of these responses start with the letter P. One is pride, and one is praise. Let's read again in verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. We are people who can quickly forget how God has poured out his heavenly blessings over and over 
on us. After a while, the goodness of God is so prevalent in our lives, it's possible for us to even begin to think that the success that we have in this world is because of our own doing. Moses is very clear here when he writes that this is poor and misguided thinking. God is the one and the only one who ever provides for you. I don't care what the American dream tells you. The Lord is your provider. Satan's the one that whispers in your your ear, you can do it. You don't need to be dependent on God. Look, after all, what you've already achieved. Folks, don't settle for too little. Look at the consequences when we do settle. Adam settled and the fall occurred. Look at verses 19 and 20. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. We don't have time to look at the rest of the Old Testament, so let me tell you how it ends for the Israelites. They don't trust in God anymore. They start thinking that they've provided for themselves, and they, too, are thrown out of the promised land. Just as Adam was thrown out of the garden, they're thrown out of the promised land. Your sin has terrible consequences. If you're sitting here this morning lying to yourself that your behavior and your sin does not matter, hear me clearly say, it does matter. God is a holy God who judges the wicked. Do not let Satan tell you how you live does not matter, for it matters greatly. Trust in the providence of God in your life and follow him with all your heart, lest you end up like the Israelites and show yourselves to be a false worshiper of God. I would tell you that the proper response for seeing God's work of providence in our life, it's not pride, but instead, it's, it's praise. Verse 10 says, You shall eat and be full. You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Verse 18, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. In these verses, we're encouraged to turn our eyes away from us and onto the one God who actually provides. For when we recognize God and God alone is the one who provides, then we can truly praise God for his provision. I want to share with you a little bit how God has provided in a great way for St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church lately. We're building this new facility here. We're building it so that our, our, our children and our youth can better uh, be better equipped. We're building it so that our fellowship can be sweeter. We're building it so that our worship and our arts ministry can be enhanced. But to do so, it takes money. It, it takes lots of money. As you all know, that the cost of the building and the renovations that, that we're going through right now is it's right at $4 million. And that is a lot of money for sure. And when we first started doing this, I asked myself over and over, can we do this? Can we afford this? 
And the answer is, on our own, absolutely not. If we just said, let's just pass a hat and say, hey, we want to build something, uh, that never would work well. But as you, call, as you might recall, last year about this time, uh, we kicked off our stewardship season. During those couple of months, we prayed about stewardship together. We studied about stewardship together. Dale preached about stewardship. And many of you told me how blessed you were through that time that we focused on stewardship. Then near the end of April, we kicked off our collection season on the new building. Well, a little less than nine months later now, I'm thrilled to tell you that we've already received over $850,000 to the building fund. But that's not all. During that same time, we've actually had growth, small but still growth, to our general fund. Now, it'd be easy for us to sit here in the room and say, wow, aren't we generous people? Aren't we great people? Look what we're doing. But that's not the type of people we are. It's God who's providing for us. So let me say praise be to God for his pouring out his blessings on us. And may he continue to bless us in this endeavor. So here's the bottom line of of what this passage is teaching us this morning. When God's people seek God's provision through his promises, and the result is their prosperity, which leads to peace, then the only proper response is praise. I'll say that again. When God's people seek God's provision through his promises, and it results in their prosperity and leads to their peace, the only proper response is praise. So how about you? Do you recognize God as the giver of all good things in your life? Do you give him praise for faithfully providing for each and every one of your needs? Do you trust in the promises of God? Christ Jesus proved in the wilderness and throughout his life, and confirmed it with his death that he loves his people. It is through his re- resurrection that we can have the blessed assurance that Jesus has secured his people and that he has overcome this world. We don't need to be anxious people. We don't need to be people who settle for the little trinkets that Satan hands out to us. We want to avoid... Be- thinking that we're self-made people. His call to you this morning is to trust in his good providence in your life. For his promises are true, and therefore praise be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we only had a brief time to look at a rich and wonderful text And Lord, it's my prayer that uh, today we would think of your wonderful blessings to us, your great providences in our life, how you continually provide for us over and over. And through that, Lord, we'd be moved to be people to praise your name. For you are a great and wonderful God who loves his people and provides for us every day. We thank you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.